You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Sean Hyman. Uh, he is the editor at the Ultimate Wealth Report, and also he has a newsletter called Absolute Profits. Welcome back to the show, Sean. Hey, good to be with you. Just tell us a little bit about uh, Ultimate Wealth Report and Absolute Profits and kind of the difference between the two and uh, what people should expect when they get those newsletters. Yeah, Absolute Profits is uh, a swing trading uh, service to where we uh, we invest in stocks over uh, typically a 6- to 12-month period based off of seasonal cycles that come about by the business and economic cycle. And uh, Ultimate Wealth Report is a, a true investing service where we're in positions 12 to 18 months, takes advantage of the rise of inflation and the and dollar devaluation. And so they get uh, recommendations uh, you know, each month through the Ultimate Wealth Report and weekly videos to go along with that as well. So let's kind of go look at the overall economic situation in the world. Um, Europe is saying that they're worried about deflation. Uh, the European Central Bank may be doing something a quantitative easing. The Central Bank here has been uh, inflating the money supply for a long time. Is inflation or deflation the bigger worry right now? Well, I mean, in my opinion, here in the U.S., it's it's inflation, uh, and I think that you know Europe will uh, you know do whatever it takes to solve their you know potential deflation problem as well. Central banks are very scared of uh, deflation, and they'll do almost anything to prevent it, and they're very comfortable with inflation. And and here in the U.S. Really, once we got a handle on how to create inflation, as far as from a central banking standpoint, we, we've almost not hardly had any sustainable patches of deflation since the 1950s. And so uh, they're very comfortable with trying to really increase infra- inflation in at least a 2 to 3% rate per year on their official numbers the way they calculate it, which is usually 4 to 6% in real life. Because they're saying that they're still too low, that they're looking for a 2% at least inflation rate, and the numbers they're seeing are, are below that. Although it seems to be in real life, as you say, food is going up dramatically, uh, gasoline is going up, healthcare costs, taxes, uh, university tuitions, all kinds of things are going up way more than 2%. So w- what is this 2% <laughs> number that they're coming up with that doesn't seem to be connected to real life? Well, I mean, you know, one, the, 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 equa- the equations keep getting uh, changed. You know, we don't use the same equation now that as we used in the 80s, uh, so they change up that. They, they, you know, take out certain things. They add in certain things. So food and energy are taken out, and that's two of the most vital things that the average consumer uh, uses. And so, uh, so, you know, real-world inflation has gone up dramatically, but it, it, there is no political will to print a number that says inflation is uh, rising at a fast clip and getting out of control or anything of that sort, that's not going to help get you back in office. In certain countries, inflation has already started pretty dramatically, I guess in Argentina and and some other places as well, and that does create a political, Iran is another place that comes to mind. Um, So is that kind of a precursor of what we're going to see in the United States? Um, it could. I mean, right, you know, in, in some of the emerging markets, of course, it has a, a, a bigger effect just because uh, the average population is is not quite as well off, uh, of course, as the U.S., and there's less expendable money. So the least little bit of rise in, in, in energy inflation or food inflation makes even a bigger difference than what we feel here in the U.S., and it's big enough for what we hear in the U.S., so I'm not watering that down by any stretch. But that's why, for instance, when food prices rose last time, you can only buy a bag of rice at Costco 
but yet over in the Middle East, you're having, you know, riots and overthrows of dictators. And so, yeah, we do feel it, and we're going to feel it more so. And eventually, I think there will come a time even where we have riots in the streets because of how, uh, how bad inflation gets. But that day's not quite here, although I started recently writing about it, because I do think in the coming years that could happen. So as an investor, uh, what are some of the better places? Let's take them into different categories. You certainly like uh, metals and mining in various ways. What would be some ways to play what you see as the rise in inflation in metals and mining? Yeah, I think, you know, with, with global growth happening and, and, and uh, you know, uh, that really the, the, one of the best ways to play the global growth picture, in my opinion, is through uh, a copper stock like Freeport McMoran. Um, that's an easy way to play that. I think that uh, to go to some of the most hated areas of the market is also another wise thing to do, uh, such as gold miners. I mean, nobody likes gold, and they hate even gold miners even more so. And uh, the sentiment is just atrocious. And when the sentiment gets atrocious, that's usually when you find miscalculations and misjudgments and therefore value. And so I think that that's a great place to be. Uh, it, sticking with some of the biggest names out there, maybe like a Barrett Gold or Newmont Mining, don't, don't go with some small junior miner and, and try to make a pick on a turnaround in the industry, though. They've been talking about merging, potentially, those two, right? Would, would that they, be a, a good thing for shareholders? Well, you know, they, they have talked about it a time or two, and, you know, I'm probably not a pro on whether the, you know, all the costs and how it would settle in as far as what it would do for shareholders, but I do know that they, they have felt the crunch in this last uh, slowdown, and it's really made them take a little bit more seriously the thought of particularly merging. But it does show you that if times got tough enough, they could merge together and form the biggest you know, powerhouse out there and swallow up a lot of the competition and still stay afloat. So that's another reason why I say go with some of the biggest ones out there. What is your outlook for the gold price at this point? Well, I believe gold is uh, near term probably going to take a little bit more heat. It could go from the you know twelve forties down to twelve hundred or so even. Uh, but but you know more longer term, I see it going up and its next major move being upward. I think that we'll see it go fifteen to sixteen hundred. You know over the you know next six to nine months. But uh, after that, I think we ultimately see it go back up to nineteen hundred plus. And that's because of the inflationary worries. Well, it's because of inflation. It's because of uh, our dollar keeps getting devalued. Yes, it's gotten a little bump up here recently, but it seems it was uh, not widely reported in the media when the U.S. dollar index hit a 52-week low just you know a month or so ago. So our dollar is still depreciating overall, even though it has its bear market bounces here and there. And our debts are just out of control. And so it's, it's, it's continuing to make foreigners invest less and less in the U.S. and our treasuries as seen in, in the tick flows, which, which track that. And so all these really uh, are building a case for gold. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, on the U.S. debt side, uh, I mean, some would say the U.S. is more attractive because of what's going on around the world, all the turmoil with Russia and Ukraine and mm-hmm. Turkey and Egypt and Syria and Argentina and so on. We look a lot better, and that's why... The U.S. Uh, interest rates have been falling, uh, attracting capital from around the world. Is that not the, the case you're seeing? Well, the, the, uh, that was the case for uh, the previous two to three years, I would say. I don't, I don't believe that's the case now. I think some of these uh, areas of the world, like Russia and China, are actually some of the most favorable places to invest right now. And a lot of the turmoil has brought about a lot of undervaluation in a lot of their stocks and their stock market. And so I think that's helped a whole lot. Um, you know, the, the stocks that are starting to get overly priced right now are, by and large, U.S. stocks. I would not want to be investing in the S&P 500 right now uh, through an index fund and say my 401k, uh, because you know the, the downside risks are huge relative to the upside reward. Mm-hmm. 
Let, let's talk about those overseas a little bit. How would you invest in Russia, which would be very, very contrarian right now? The stocks are incredibly cheap because people think it's about the worst place in the world to be investing right now. Yep, and that's exactly why you'd want to go there. Uh, you know, the, the, like for instance, if you look at one of the best ways to play it, uh, which is the Russian ETF RSX, uh, it's got a PE of about five right now. Whereas here in the U.S., we're up to about 18s to 19. So what that means is we're paying far more for the earnings of companies uh, here in the U.S. than they are in Russia, and yet people are still going to use these oil companies, these telecommunication companies, etc., whether there's turmoil or or, or not. And so the, uh, an ETF like that gets you broad exposure and it plays with some of the biggest companies there and so that's the way I would play uh, Russia or something like FXI if you're talking about investing in China. Uh, yes, also you have some other Chinese like um, uh, mobile companies and what are some other companies you like in China? Yeah, uh, China Mobile uh, is one that I like. I mean, it's again, it's it's very cash rich. It's got some of the deepest pockets of you know any company in the world. So it's kind of like an Apple in that sense. Uh, even though size wise, it's 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 bigger than you know AT and T or Verizon. Um, and so they're they're switching from 3G to 4G networks. They're starting to add in the Apple iPhone to the mix. There's a lot of things happening there. So I'm I'm bullish on China Mobile. Um, and so that's just you know one more area that I like in China. Mm-hmm. And then even some of the other emerging markets, uh, I think you like uh, Turkey, and uh, what, what are some other ways to play those? Yeah, I like Turkey and I like Indonesia. Again, these are just pockets of the emerging markets that I think that uh, that look well favorably, that their stock market is starting to uh, turn around. So I like it when the sentiment is bad, but yet the stocks continue, they don't continue their downward descent. They, they, they start to perk up and lift even though the sentiment is bad. And that's that's what I'm seeing is a rebound in Turkey, a rebound in Indonesia. And the easiest way to play Turkey uh, is through the ETF TUR. And uh, Indonesia through an ETF that I like called EIDO, and so those again just go broadly because it's, in my opinion, most people don't want to go in and try to pick an individual stock in these markets. I think they're much safer to go in with a more of a shotgun diversified effect and going in with an ETF. Another area you like, which is very contrarian, is coal. Um, what, what are some plays that you like in coal? Yeah, I like Peabody Energy BTU. Again, it's you know it's one of the bigger uh, players in the in the market. So again, anytime you're going with very negative sentiment and a very contrarian play, I think it's best to start with some of the biggest guys out there, and they they are in that one of the biggest in that space. Um, in the U.S., see, we're, we you know we are using some you know less coal. We're using more natural gas, but in Europe they're actually using more coal. In Japan they're using more coal, and uh, in China and in India they're using more coal. So so the global coal consumption is actually quite high, and it's very much offsetting the reduction that we're having here in the U.S., but here in the U.S., we're writing it off like the whole world is doing what we're doing, and that's simply not the case. Yeah, certainly the sentiment with all the Obama administration's uh, constrictions on coal, closing down coal plants, increasing regulations, it's not a good future for coal in the U.S., but you're saying that that's being outweighed by the uh, use around the world. It is, and also another thing that is helping coal, of course, is natural gas prices are back on the rise, and so, you know, there for a while the natural gas had dipped into the ones, and and lately it's been uh, in the fours. It has been as high as in the sixes, and I believe it'll be back up there again. So the higher natural gas uh, gets as well, the more uh, plants may want to shift to an alternative, because there's a lot of plants here in the U.S. that are actually starting to get set up to where they can use coal or natural gas, whichever happens to be cheaper. Oh, they have different environmental outtake. I mean, if they have environmental restrictions, how could they use coal if they can't 
you know, do that even if the price was better. Well, they're still going to be able to, to do it. You know, keep in mind the Obama administration said, hey, we want to reduce, you know, emissions 30% from 2005 levels. Well, they've already reduced them 15%. And so really all they got to do is knock off another 15% and they don't have to get that complied with, you know, tomorrow. They'll still have some time on that as well. So, Perfect. so it, it sounds good politically, but really these, these, you know, these smart, big, huge coal companies are still going to be just fine. Another area you like is agriculture, or why do you like agriculture as a place to invest? Yeah, I like agriculture because I'm seeing food prices rise. They had declined for years and years and years, and now uh, you know soybeans and wheat and uh, cotton and all kinds of things are starting to uh, to rise once again. And so it's a great way to play food inflation, and I like to go in that very broadly as well because it's it's easier to you know, to say what the group is going to do than what any one commodity will do. And so uh, when it comes to food commodities and agriculture. And so uh, we're in DBA there. And so that's, that's the way I like to uh, broadly disperse it there. So they own actual uh, shares in uh, the various grains and metals, right? Or just the grains in the agriculture one. Is that right? Yeah, they, they track a lot of different... Uh, food and agricultural commodities, so it's just more of a, a shotgun approach, a way to, to tackle food inflation. So that's called the Power Shares Agriculture Fund, the DBA. Yes. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this, hour, this half hour is Sean Hyman, who is the editor of the Ultimate Wealth Report of Absolute Profits. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Houston Real Estate Radio with Shannon Register. Tuesdays at 10 Eastern, 1 Pacific on Voice America's Variety Channel. As we have transitioned into a healthier housing market, supply has not been able to keep up with demand. Appraisals have struggled to keep up with rising prices, and lenders have overcorrected their loose lending practices. We track all this and more so you don't have to. HoustonRealEstateRadio.com Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Sean Hyman. 
He is the editor of the Ultimate Wealth Report and also a newsletter called Absolute Profits. Welcome back to the show, Sean. Hey, good to be with you. So you do a weekly commentary, and one of your weekly commentaries was about the so-called uh, FATCA law, which is the Foreign, Act, Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act of 2010, mm-hmm. which is about to kick in July 1st. Just briefly describe what that is and what impact that may have on the markets. Yeah, I wrote about that at moneynews.com, and, and that's, uh, it's, it's called the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act of 2010, so that's where FATCA comes in, F-A-T-C-A, and it's also known as H.R. 2847, so you may hear it under either name, but this is something that goes into effect uh, July 1st, and as part of that, um, it makes it to where uh, in U.S., uh, U.S. citizens that hold assets abroad uh, are going to start to have to do more diligent reporting on their assets abroad. And also, now, these foreign entities, uh, banks, brokerages, insurance companies, etc., um, overseas are going to have to do extensive reporting back to the IRS on what those individuals uh, own as well. They'll have to do annual reports and, and, and quite a bit of other red tape. And so... What that's basically causing, in my opinion, is what will make a lot of foreign companies say, hey, we don't want to mess with you Americans because there's too much red tape now. We'll focus on Europe or some other areas of the world, you know, emerging Asia or something like that, uh, where things are more favorable, and it will just make it harder for, uh, for you know, Americans to, to hold assets overseas in some of these particular places. But what it's not going to do is make the dollar totally unravel and, you know, not be the world's reserve currency on July 2nd because this went in on July the 1st or things of that sort. And that's, that's what some of the stuff's been floating out there is that the dollar's demise will happen on July the 1st and all this sort of thing. And that's not, that's not really true. The dollar's demise will continue, but that's going to be uh, something that happens over time and not, not a day event. So is this a law to avoid people hiding assets in Swiss banks to avoid taxes? Is that basically the purpose behind this? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. The, the the biggest purpose is that you know, of course, the U.S. government's deeply in debt and needs to look for every penny they can find under the couch cushion. And so, um, you know, now it's more important than ever that they rein things in. And so, it's not illegal for you to hold assets overseas, but if you are trying to hide something and, and avoid paying taxation off of it, then of course that's where it becomes an issue. And so, that is what it's trying to do: is it's trying to rein all that in so that they can truly take in the amount of tax dollars that they're supposed to actually be taking in. This doesn't discourage foreign investors from investing in the U.S. particularly. It's, it's really aimed at U.S. investors are, are, are investing overseas. Is that right? For the, for the most part. Um, the, the problem is why the U.S. can put so much heat on a lot of these foreigners and make them comply, though, is because they do have uh, some of their branches here in the U.S. And so you know, if you're a Swiss bank or a Swiss entity and you have uh, branches here in the U.S. or do a lot of business in the U.S., they, the, the U.S. government now has a lot of uh, control over you because they can basically make it to where you've either got to comply or you've got to get rid of all your U.S.-based business. And so that's what makes it tougher on the on the foreigners. So will this uh, erode the dollar? I mean, not as you say on one day, but a long-term uh, negative for the dollar. It, I mean, it is a long-term negative for the dollar, of course. But but our our debt is even a bigger picture. That's the the you know the bigger uh, negative for the dollar because the the higher our debts go up, seventeen trillion, eighteen trillion, etc., the more likely it is that we can't even pay the interest on our uh, securities that foreigners want to hold. And so they realize this. And so even now, China and many of these other central banks are are buying euros instead of dollars. They're buying Aussie dollars, Canadian dollars. They're buying more gold and silver. They're diversifying more away from dollars when they used to own, almost. Not exclusively, but very heavily weigh uh, in in dollars in their portfolios. 
What is the outlook for the U.S. debt? I mean, uh, Obama would say uh, the deficit is now $500 billion instead of $1.3 trillion, and the deficit has been cut in half, and, and sequestration, all that has made a big difference, and we're adding debt, but at a much slower pace. But what is your response to that? Well, I mean, the economy overall is getting better, and, you know, my gosh, it ought to after five years of, of bleeding. And so I don't think that's so much due to, you know, Obama or his contribution, uh, but we are seeing some pickup in the uh, in the economy, um, and I think that will continue. I don't think, the, you know, the, the, the growth is going to be robust, but I think that it's, you know, much better than what we uh, had. It is bringing down unemployment, and it is causing GDP to, to grow at a better pace than it has in, in the past few years, and so that's a good thing. But but our stocks have been run up so much relative to that growth that really all the benefit from stocks as far as economic growth, in my opinion, just about has already been priced into stocks, and they'll probably have you know a good 10% or more correction in the coming months. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things you've talked about a lot is uh, high-frequency trading, and yes. the Flash Boys book came out. You know, he said that uh, Michael Lewis said that the market's rigged and all that. What is your view of the pros and cons of high-frequency trading. Yeah, the, I mean, the market's not rigged. Uh, you know, the, it doesn't hurt the average person uh, out there, and that's really the, may, the, the way it was made to, to look, as though the average person's getting gypped if they're, you know, investing in their Schwab account or E-Trade account and they're buying securities for, for their, you know, retirement or, or, or what have you. Uh, what's happened is, you know, these guys are making high-frequency trading. They are, they do have millions of dollars sunk into their systems, the, the speed of their data lines, et cetera, and they are able to transact uh, orders in milliseconds. And so that does give them part of a penny or up to a penny advantage on the, uh, on the price of the stock. But whether, you know, if you invest in a company today, um, you know, you're probably not going to invest in milliseconds, and you're probably going for more than a gain of a penny anyway. I mean, you're probably going for dollars and many dollars over time, and so it's not going to really have a material effect on you as an investor. Um, the other side of the coin is what they're not talking about is the reduction of cost to investors. When I started investing uh, online, um, it was $30 in and $30 out, and that was with a discount broker and doing it myself online. And today, you know, you can do that for 5 to $7, in some cases even, even free. And the spreads between the buy and sell prices have narrowed uh, significantly as well. So there's a lot of costs that have come down that more than compensate for, you know, these high-frequency traders' penny that they've gained. And so it's really a better day for investors now than it ever has been, high-frequency traders or not. Are you concerned that there might be legislation, uh, not understanding what you just said, that to try to uh, stop high-frequency trading that would cause less liquidity and, and actually hurt the markets? Well, there could be more regulation of it. I think you're going to have to have some high-frequency trading because, see, what they've done away with is the specialist. I mean, used to, the New York Stock Exchange was packed. There was a human uh, at a, in, in the pit and that, that oversaw certain stocks, and, and that is all but gone. I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of it, but it's very sparse these days. And so those orders still have to be matched, transacted. The volume and liquidity still has to be there, and these guys are filling some of that those shoes. And so... I don't think they're going to be able to do away with high-frequency trading, but they certainly might uh, rein it in a bit if some are starting to get it, uh, excessive. Another thing you've talked about is uh, you say that the days of cheap oil are over. Um, oil prices are roughly $100 a barrel. So is your view that oil is going to be going up dramatically from here? 
Yeah, I think that we're going to see a, a very sizable breakout in the um, in the months ahead in both WTI and Brent crude. Um, you know, if you think about it, I mean, if you listen to the news, they talked about how oh, we're you know we we're we're got all these processes in place to where we're just a wash in oil and oil's going to go back to $40 a barrel and so forth. And, and yet all it's done the whole time is, is climb and we're back, you know, hundred plus uh, per barrel. So, the market has proved that the message that has been widely touted and sold to the public is just simply not true. But, you know, one of the reasons why it's not true is because we have to, you know, dig deeper for oil, uh, you know, drill deeper than we ever have before. Uh, many times we've got to do deep water and offshore uh, drilling. The, the low-hanging fruit's already been picked. Uh, as oil goes up, you know, it takes oil to make oil because you've got to run machinery with oil uh, to, to, you know, bring more oil out of the ground. So it brings up your costs as oil's uh, cost rises as well. So there's a number of reasons why the days of cheap oil are gone, but the message that's widely touted out there is just junk. So what would be your, some of your favorite ways to play the rise in oil prices you see coming? Well, I, I think you should own some of the you know the biggest uh, oil stocks in the uh, in the world. Something like uh, you know BP Amico, you know BP is the symbol there, or Total symbol T O T, E and I symbol E. Any of these uh, I think are great ways to play it. Now some of those stocks need to pull back uh, a bit before purchase, but those are some of the best ways I think to play it. They're some of the biggest players in the world. They've got deep pockets. And uh, they're very diversified uh, because they're drilling for oil all over the world, so not just here in the U.S. So I think it's a great way to play it. And a lot of them have 4 to 5% dividend yields. Indeed. In about 30 seconds or so we have left, just kind of give an overall summary of what you see the best opportunities are coming forward and, and where the economy is headed. Yeah, I think, honestly, the best opportunities are, are sadly not in America. They are in China. They are in Russia. They are in Turkey and Indonesia and places like this for the next six months to year as the U.S. Uh, cools off. So that's really where I would focus. Very much. I appreciate it. So thank you. Uh, my guest has been uh, Sean Hyman. Uh, his newsletter is called The Ultimate Wealth Report. He also has one called Absolute Profits. I think you can get a, a free subscription for a while before you subscribe to it. A lot of interesting ideas are there. So thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Sean. Hey, thank you. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 